This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Picture a human encampment tens of thousands of years ago. For these ancient people, each day was a struggle. In addition to the challenge of getting enough food to survive, they had to worry about attacks from neighboring settlements or being mauled by predators in the night. Surely wolves posed a significant threat. With their keen senses and pack-hunting tactics, they could easily catch a person unaware. But at some point, one of our ancestors realized that wolves didn't have to be our enemies. They could be our friends. With a little patience and lots of food, ancient humans were able to transform wild wolves into domesticated dogs. With these trusted companions by their sides, they could feel safe and secure. And eventually, as more organized societies began to emerge, dogs took on an even greater role. They were protecting more than small individual camps. They were protecting entire civilizations. Welcome to Dog Tales, a podcast original. Every week, we tell the stories of historic, heroic canines. We'll profile dogs who saved people from earthquakes, went to outer space, and even spurred the invention of Velcro. If you're looking for fun stories and a warm heart, you're barking up the right tree. I'm your host, Alastair. You can find episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dog Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This week, we're telling the story of ancient dogs. We'll be discussing how dogs became the beloved companions they are today, as well as stories of dogs like Paritas and Soter, canines who made such an impact on ancient history, they're still remembered thousands of years later. Although we can't know for sure, the general consensus is that humans domesticated dogs to help with hunting and protect us from outside threats. At a time when day-to-day -day survival was a challenge, having a dog by your side offered a significant leg up. As societies evolved, the relationship between humans and dogs evolved as well. A 12,000-year-old tomb in Israel contains a woman buried next to her puppy. 
Though we don't know the circumstances that led to this burial, it's fair to say the little dog probably meant a lot to her. And nothing proves the progression of this relationship more than the invention of the dog collar. Collars represented ownership and identification. They meant that dogs were more than prized companions. They were part of people's families. As with many pioneering elements of human society, dog collars probably emerged in ancient Mesopotamia, a golden pendant found in the city of Uruk from 3300 BCE depicts a dog with a collar around its neck. Mesopotamian dogs served as more than physical protectors and beloved companions. They held divine importance as well. The Mesopotamians feared Lamashtu, a terrifying demon notorious for killing babies. To protect themselves from this vengeful spirit, Mesopotamians would pray to Gullah, the goddess of healing. Gullah was often depicted with a dog, most likely because people noticed wounds healed faster after dogs licked them. When young mothers prayed at night, they called out for Gullah's protection from the Mashtu. But if Gullah failed to save the child, she and her dogs wouldn't abandon them. In the Mesopotamian pantheon, dogs were tasked with accompanying the deceased to the afterlife. No matter what, dogs were always by a person's side, in this life and the next. The Mesopotamians' love of dogs was mirrored in other ancient societies around the world. The Egyptians also saw their dogs as not just physical protectors, but as loyal companions too. They gave them leather collars and bestowed them with names like Brave One, Reliable, Good Herdsman, North Wind, and Antelope. But not all Egyptians were dog people, it seems. One was unfortunately named Useless. But those who did love their dogs went the extra mile to show it. By 1400 BCE, Egyptians were giving their dogs inscribed collars with copper or bronze studs. It was a physical representation of their deep emotional bonds. And this connection went all the way to the top of Egyptian society. In 1935, Egyptologist George A. Reisner discovered a large inscribed gravestone within a tomb near the Great Pyramid of Giza. Dating back to before 2280 BCE, the white limestone tablet described the burial of an unknown pharaoh's beloved dog, Ubutiu. The gravestone read, quote, The dog which was the guard of His Majesty, Ubutiu is his name. His Majesty ordered that he be buried ceremonially, that he be given a coffin from the royal treasury, fine linen in great quantity and incense. His Majesty also gave perfumed ointment and ordered that a tomb be built for him by the gangs of masons. His Majesty did this for him in order that Ubutiu might be honored before the great god Anubis. Although dogs were commonly buried with ceremony in ancient Egypt, such an elaborate entombment was unprecedented. It was more appropriate for an important nobleman than for a dog. For Ubutiu to be given such an honor, he must have been extremely important to this pharaoh. Unfortunately, the tombstone had been taken from another tomb to build the one Reisner was excavating. He was never able to find Ubutiu's true burial site. But by examining other depictions of dogs in ancient Egypt, 
Reisner was able to draw some conclusions about Ubutiu. This royal dog was probably a sighthound, a hunting dog similar in shape to a greyhound. Judging from carvings of other dogs, Ubutiu likely had perky ears and a curly tail. Most likely, he wasn't the pharaoh's personal pet. He probably belonged to someone attached to the royal court. But Reisner concluded that the pharaoh must have taken a shining to the feisty sighthound. Otherwise, Ubutiu wouldn't have been given such an elaborate burial. When Ubutiu passed, the pharaoh likely grieved terribly. He probably mummified Ubutiu just as many Egyptians did with their families. He wanted Ubutiu to be as prepared for the afterlife as possible. Perhaps he wanted a companion to spend the afterlife with. As with Egypt, dogs had an important role in the afterlife for ancient Persians. In Persia, people were expected to treat canines with love and respect. After death, people's souls crossed the Shinvat Bridge, an expanse surrounded by dogs which stood between the world of the living and the dead. If they lived a righteous life pursuing truth, they went to paradise in the House of Song. If they'd pursued self-interest, they were dropped into the House of Lies. How a Persian treated a dog in their life affected their chance of attaining paradise, so it was important to treat these animals well. People were encouraged to nurse dogs back to health, to care for pregnant dogs, and to give their dogs funerals. The ancient Greeks attributed great value to dogs as well. They recognized the deep emotional intelligence these animals possess. Socrates claimed that dogs are philosophers because they distinguish the face of a friend and of an enemy only by the criterion of knowing and not knowing. Essentially, this means that dogs seek the truth about the nature within people. Humans can be two-faced, deceiving one another easily, but dogs can't be fooled. This belief even predated Socrates, as shown in Homer's Odyssey. Before Odysseus departed for the Trojan War, he raised a spunky puppy named Argos. Sadly, Odysseus was called to Troy before Argos reached adulthood, and yet the little dog never forgot his master. The Odyssey emphasizes the never-ending loyalty of Odysseus's wife, Penelope, but Argos was just as steadfast. He waited patiently for 20 years, even as he grew old and weak. And eventually, the patience was rewarded. When Odysseus finally returned from his long journey, he was disguised as a beggar. The mass of suitors gathered to win the hand of Odysseus's wife had no idea the king of Ithaca was back. Not even Penelope recognized him. But Argos instantly sniffed out his master. Not even a disguise crafted by the goddess Athena herself could stop Argos from seeing the truth. But there would be no happy reunion full of laughter and joyful kisses. Argos was too weak to get up and greet his long-lost friend. And Odysseus couldn't risk going over to him, lest his ruse be discovered. He could only watch as the light left Argos's eyes and the dog passed away. Aside from demonstrating dogs' ability to discern human nature, this story was one of the earliest instances in which dogs added more emotional depth to a tale. Argos was the first in a long line of bittersweet dog stories. 
the original Old Yeller. It's easy to imagine the crowd in an ancient Greek tavern holding back tears as a bard sang about good, loyal Argos. This appreciation for dogs went beyond the celebration of fictional canines. Flesh-and-blood dogs had an equally important place in Greek society. This was especially true for the ancient city-state of Corinth. In 456 BCE, dogs played a vital role in its defense against a powerful threat. In fact, a single dog was so important, he was all that stood between victory and defeat. Coming up, a dog named Soter saves his city. Now, back to the story. Since ancient times, dogs have served as guards, ready to alert their masters at the slightest smell of invaders. The dogs living in the Greek city of Corinth was no exception. In 456 BCE, Corinth was a flowering metropolis. It straddled the isthmus between northern and southern Greece, making it an important trading destination. Known for its exports of fruit and tobacco, this port city bustled with foreign traders bringing in new spices, crafts and ideas. And it was a valuable target for would-be conquerors. For decades, Greece and Persia had been at odds. In 490 BCE, the Persian emperor Darius invaded the Greek mainland, but was repelled following the Battle of Marathon outside of Athens. But his successors were undeterred. Ten years later, Emperor Xerxes led a second invasion. Thanks to the efforts of Greek leaders like the Spartan king Leonidas and the Athenian general Themistocles, the Persians were once again held at bay. But by 456 BCE, they had their eyes on Corinth. Located between Sparta and Athens, it had major strategic and economic importance. If the Persians could take it, the rest of Greece would surely follow. Given Corinth's strategic importance, it was extremely important to be aware of an impending attack. To that end, 50 dogs were posed around the city to guard against invaders. One of these dogs was named Soter. Soter stayed alert as the sun fell and the city got quiet. But not to Soter. From his post, he heard something suspicious. Footsteps. Rather than deploying a full-scale army, the Persians had sent a small group of intruders into Corinth. If they could take the guards by surprise, they could conceivably control the city long enough for a larger force to arrive. And unfortunately, they had done their homework. The Persian strike force was aware of Soter and the other guard dogs. Although the dogs were strong, they were no match for the well-trained Persians. 49 out of 50 canines were killed. Soter was the sole survivor. But Soter refused to tuck tail and flee. He was well-trained too, and he would fulfill his duty. We don't know exactly how, but Soter successfully eluded the Persians. Perhaps he had a little divine assistance. Legend says that Soter had swallowed a lucky rabbit's foot, which is how he stayed alive. Having escaped his assailers, Soter dashed through Corinth streets, barking in warning. Eventually, he reached the barracks. He woke the Corinthian soldiers 
and they rushed to defend the city. Because of Soter's quick actions, the Corinthians were able to defeat the Persian attackers. With the city safe, they were able to send messages to neighboring Greek cities to bring reinforcements. They had saved the city, thanks to Soter. As thanks, the city fathers awarded Soter a silver collar that read, To Soter, defender and savior of Corinth. Then they built a monument not only to Soter, but also to all the other dogs who died. Largely due to the defense of Corinth, the Persians' effort to conquer Greece failed. Although the Persian Empire remained powerful, the Greek city-states were able to rise to even greater prominence. Their culture spread north to the neighboring kingdom of Macedon. As the Macedonians grew in prominence, they took up the banner against the Greeks' long-time enemies. And once again, a dog played a key role in the conflict. In 356 BCE, a century after Soter defended Corinth, Alexander III of Macedonia was born. The son of King Philip II, Alexander would someday become the leader of Macedon, but he would go on to be known by a different name, Alexander the Great. As a young man, Alexander received a classical education. Tutored by the Greek philosopher Aristotle, he learned to read, write, fight, hunt, and play the lyre. Meanwhile, Alexander's father, King Philip II, conquered major Greek city-states like Athens and Thebes. He created a unifying body called the Hellenistic League, also known as the League of Corinth. As their ruler, he was effectively the emperor of Greece, and he had even greater ambitions. After forming the Hellenistic League, Philip II set his eyes on the Persian Empire. During the Persians' war with the Greeks, the same one Soter fought in, they had conscripted the Macedonians to fight for them. Now, Philip was determined to get his revenge. But if he failed, this responsibility would fall on Alexander's shoulders. His mother, Olympias, fostered this ambition in her son. She pushed him to become the greatest conqueror the world had ever seen. But she gave him something else too, a lifelong love of dogs. Olympias is generally considered responsible for introducing Molossus dogs as military dogs in Macedonia and the Greek states. Unlike Soter, who had only been a guard dog, these now extinct Molossus dogs were intended for war. These fearsome fighters were deployed against lightly armed groups of soldiers and infantry units. As a young man, Alexander pushed these molosses to their limits. He wanted to see just how strong they really were. One day, Alexander tested the battle dogs against an elephant in combat scenario. According to the historian Pliny, Alexander ordered an elephant to be brought in. The dog's hair bristled all over his body and it first gave a vast thunderous bark, then kept leaping up and rearing against the creature's limbs, attacking and retiring at the most necessary points until the elephant, turning round and round in an unceasing whirl, was brought to the ground with an earth-shaking crash. Alexander was thrilled. These dogs were stronger than anyone had thought. 
Alexander's father, Philip II, also loved dogs, particularly pointers. He was so fond of them, he had them imported all the way from Spain. On many a hunt, Alexander and Philip would race through the woods as the pointers chased down their prey. Like his mother's molossus dogs, Alexander enjoyed pointers. But for his personal dog, he needed something tougher. Ultimately, Alexander settled on a dog named after the Macedonian word for January, Peritas. Due to a lack of information, historians aren't so sure what breed Peritas actually was. Some believe he was a Segusian greyhound, while others believe he was a Molossus, a breed very similar to modern Mastiffs. In addition to being stronger than greyhounds, these dogs were notoriously distrustful towards strangers, with a long, deep bark. However, when it came to their masters, they were known for exceptional courage and loyalty, typically bonding permanently to one person. Either a greyhound or a Molossian would have been an ideal companion for Alexander. But what really mattered was how loyal Peritas was to Alexander. The two of them formed a powerful bond, and soon Alexander would need to lean on that relationship more than he expected. In 336 BCE, 20-year-old Alexander went to a wedding with his father. But there would be little to celebrate. When they arrived, Philip was killed by his own bodyguard. There was no time for Alexander to mourn. He was proclaimed king on the spot. In his new role, Alexander was determined to continue his father's legacy. With Peritas by his side, he wouldn't stop until he had the Persian Empire under his thumb. But before he could turn his attention to the east, he had to deal with unrest in his own kingdom. Up next, Peritas helps Alexander expand his empire. Now, back to the story. After Philip II died in 336 BCE, his 20-year-old son Alexander was declared king of Macedon. But some of Alexander's father's rivals wanted power for themselves. As news of Philip's death reached the states of Macedon, they revolted. This was Alexander's worst fear. He had just been crowned and his kingdom was slipping out from under him. He was already facing his first real test as a leader. In response to the rebellion, Alexander was ruthless. He didn't hesitate to eliminate his political rivals, including his own cousin. At times, it probably felt like the only one Alexander could trust was his dog, Peritas. After putting down the insurrections, Alexander was able to keep the Hellenistic League intact. All Greek states were still under Macedon's banner. But Alexander wasn't content to rest on his laurels. It was time to take on the Persian Empire. Persia was located across a narrow strait called the Hellespont, part of modern-day Turkey. In 334 BCE, 22-year-old Alexander crossed the Hellespont with an army at his back and Peritas by his side. Together, they sparred with the Persian emperor Darius III, the king of Persia. After a year of battles, Darius fled to Syria. 
Alexander chased him, capturing more cities along the way. And Peritas trotted alongside Alexander as they both headed into battle. As his empire expanded, Alexander founded over 20 cities that bore his name, including the Egyptian city of Alexandria in 332 BCE. While he was there, Alexander consulted with the oracle of the god Amun. He was desperate to know if his upcoming expedition deeper into Asia would be successful. Alexander walked out of his meeting with a smile on his face. He didn't tell a soul about what the oracle revealed, but rumor has it the oracle said Alexander was the son of Zeus and that he would soon become a god himself. Surely, Asia was his for the taking. With that in his head, Alexander felt ready to finally fight Darius. Conquering Persia had been his dream since childhood, and Peritas would help him make it a reality. While Alexander prepared to renew hostilities with Darius, he had special armor forged for Peritas. He also crafted a metal collar with knife-like spikes to prevent his beloved dog from being grabbed by the enemy. By 331 BCE, both man and dog were ready for war, and Alexander left Egypt to hunt down Darius once and for all. The Macedonian and Persian armies met on the plains of Gaugamela, between the ancient cities of Nineveh and Arbela. Though Alexander didn't know it, Nineveh is where the Mesopotamians had honored dogs with cylinder seals and golden amulets 3,000 years earlier. And now, the people of Nineveh would witness one dog changing the course of history. Even in the face of Darius's army, Alexander insisted on fighting on the front lines. After all, who could harm the son of Zeus? And if by some chance an enemy did come Alexander's way, Peritas would protect him. Peritas had his own troops to lead as well. Alexander had brought a large group of Molossus dogs trained to fight enemies without heavy armor. They would need all the help they could get. Unlike Alexander, Darius wasn't on the front lines. He was ensconced in the heart of his forces. Alexander could barely make out the royal flags marking the Persian emperor's location. And yet, he could see them. And that was all Alexander needed. Once the fight had begun and Darius's position was exposed, Alexander ordered a massive cavalry charge. He spurred his horse, leading the fight, with Peritas sprinting right beside him, armored in full battle regalia. The Macedonian forces rushed towards Darius, overwhelming the Persian resistance. Alexander's personal cavalry tore down enemy after enemy, making significant headway into the Persian ranks. Alexander was right in the thick of it, dueling head-on with the Persians, standing over them as they fell one by one. But Darius wasn't as defenseless as he seemed. He decided to unleash a weapon so fearsome, even the son of Zeus couldn't stop it. While the Macedonian king was distracted fighting foot soldiers, Darius sent a battle elephant charging straight at the king. Alexander was trapped. There was no way to escape the elephant's rampage. 
Alexander watched helplessly as soldiers tumbled left and right from the sheer force of the charging beast. He braced himself for death. Darius had won. But Peritas refused to accept defeat. He jumped directly into the elephant's path, shielding his master. Then Peritas took a running leap and sank his teeth right into the elephant's enormous lip. The wounded elephant halted. It swung sideways and fell down, knocking over the Persians who were riding it. They fell to the ground. All the while, Peritas held on tight to the elephant's lip. This disruption caused a brief opening in the chaos. Alexander rode towards the opening, accepting that he needed to regroup with the bulk of his forces. After a tense run, he successfully made it to the other side. Now able to regroup with his men, Alexander could fight back against Darius's counterattack. His renewed offensive overwhelmed the Persians. They weren't even able to retreat. By battle's end, Darius had fled. Alexander captured the prized city of Babylon. He was declared King of Persia following the Battle of Gaugamela and went on to conquer the majority of Asia Minor. But the victory was bittersweet. Peritas didn't make it out alive. After taking down the elephant, he was unable to make it back to Alexander's side. He died protecting his master. Peritas was so notable, there are actually two versions of his final battle. The other story says during a battle against the Malians in India, Alexander was stranded behind enemy lines. He had no one to protect him, not even Peritas, and he was surrounded. The fighting was so chaotic, Alexander's officers were unable to reach their king. But Peritas was determined to try. Without regard for his own life, the loyal hound charged into the thicket of Malian soldiers. No one could stand in Peritas' way. He managed to fight his way back to Alexander's side. It was just in time. Alexander had been stabbed in the leg. He wouldn't have lasted much longer on his own. But Peritas' arrival gave him a second wind. Together, man and dog fought off wave after wave of Malian attackers until reinforcements arrived. Once they did, the Macedonians found Alexander sitting amongst a pile of slain enemies. He held Peritas close as the dog drew his final breath. However it happened, Alexander took Peritas' death hard. After Peritas was slain, Alexander commanded for the dog's body to be brought to him immediately. As night fell, his men searched the battlefield for Peritas. Once they found him, Alexander ordered a state funeral for his beloved dog. They even named a city in the dog's honor. And within that city, a statue of Peritas was built in the central square. If not for Peritas's bravery, Alexander of Macedon may never have become Alexander the Great. Had he died in battle, history as we know it would have completely changed. Alexander is known for having spread Greek culture throughout his massive empire. 
many of the cities he founded flowered and became major cultural centers and remain so today. At the time of his death, in 323 BCE, Alexander's empire covered over 2 million square miles. Undefeated in battle, Alexander was used as the golden standard for military leaders. His military tactics are still taught, but his legacy might have never existed without the courage of his dog. Dogs influence the past through their protective, courageous and empathetic natures. Ancient cultures from all over the world celebrated their best friends and cared for them like family. And from bedazzled collars to bomb-sniffing dogs patrolling battlefields, the legacies of ancient dogs live on today. The timeline of history is decorated with paw prints. Thanks for listening to Dog Tales. Every dog has his day, and our day is Monday's. We'll be back then with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Dog Tales, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dog Tales on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week for another good story about a good dog. Dog Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Dog Tales was written by Amanda Prager, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs>